0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: BFM 89.9, my name is Daryl Ong and you tune in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. In conjunction with the appointment of Johor ruler Sultan Ibrahim Sultan Iskandar as Malaysia's new king, our second story of this week will be zooming in on the rise of JDT Johor Daru Takzim, the most dominant Super League club for over a decade. The Southern Tigers have not just made their mark domestically, but it's a team that has established themselves as a force in the region, being the first Southeast Asian team to lift the AFC Cup in 2015. Joining us this week is Kishnan Sundaresen as we kick-started the conversation by exploring the early origins of JDT. <laughs>
0: I don't think anyone within Johor would have expected the level of domination that they've had, and the amount of success that they've accrued over the last decade or so. You know, everyone talks about TMJ, but I always go back to this set of fans that were at the Larkin Stadium in 2012, um, in a random uh, Malaysian League game, and there was about uh, you know less than 20 Johor fans at the stadium, and it was a game in which TMJ randomly popped up, and this core group of Johor fans started you know shouting and and asking for him to save. Johor Football, because Johor Football was probably at its absolute lowest at that point. You know, there was a lot of divisions. The fact that there was two teams in the state yep. to begin with, right? Mm, mm. Um, there was a, the, the stadiums were in horrendous conditions. There, there's a lot of match-fixing scandals. I think anyone who, who read the papers closely in 2011, 2012, you would have come up uh, a lot of match-fixing allegations involving Johor. So it was at its absolute lowest. Um, and he comes in. And, and, you know, he just completely revamps. He merges the club, completely uh, pushes people out in a very unorthodox way, right? Pushes people out of the associations completely. He brings in his own guys mm. and they revamp. And in the span of 10 years, um, Daryl, it's not just the utter domination in the Malaysian Super League, But it's also the fact that um, they've gone to the knockout stages of the Asian Champions League. They've had some incredible wins over giants of Asian football, Ulsan, Hyundai, Kawasaki, Frontale. And then they they were also, and remain until today, the only Southeast Asian team to have won the AFC Cup, Mm. which is Asia's equivalent of the Europa League in 2015. So... Yeah, they've completely smashed everything. If
1: anything, the goals have been (laughs) exceeded, right? Yeah, Um, yeah, you're right bringing up that, you know, for a long time, the Joho clubs were, you know, underperforming, struggling Mm. in the league. However, it seems since the rebranding, since that fateful night in Larkin Stadium, they had a clear vision and strategy now, which obviously was a crucial uh, component to their rise. Um, How has has it evolved over the years and what kind of key elements do you see remain consistent in in that time? I mean,
0: what I love about Johor is even from a football point of view, they've evolved. Um, When when TMJ first took over the first couple of years, it was Fandi Ahmad as the coach and then Boyan Hodak came in and the team played this very aggressive say 4-4-2 with two really, really good foreign strikers with a local striker as a backup. Safi Sali was always that guy. And I remember the days of Luciano Figueroa and mm. Jorge Pereira mm. you know, dominating as the front two. And then as the as the managerial appointments changed, uh, they evolved into a, a sort of like a 4-3-3, right? Uh, and they started having two super quick wingers. Those were the days when, you know, they, they brought in the likes of uh, Jorge Pereira who, who remained and move to the left flank. There was Azni Taib, Nazrin, Nazrin Nawi, Kunalan occasionally played there, mm. and the dynamics changed. Mm. And then the, mo- the the current version of the JDT you're seeing is a JDT that plays with three at the back and two wing backs and you know two strikers. So tactically they have evolved as a football club. They've evolved, you know, refurbishing the larkin to now having their own Sultan Ibrahim Stadium, uh, refurbishing the the Padang Sri Glam training centre to now cons- you know constructing their own training ground. Mm. It's still ongoing. I mean, the academy has has grown by leaps and bounds. All of those things has evolved, but the one central theme that I will give is that until today there remains a very strong Argentinian flavor <laughs> right. about the team. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's it's something that really fascinates me. From the head coach appointments, there have been a lot of Argentinian head coaches. Yeah. There have been a lot of Argentinian foreign players. Some of the best players in the history of the club Mm. have been Argentinian foreign players. Mm. Coaches, a lot of them are Argentinians as well. Um, And and I think it just has a very close connection to the fact that TMJ also has a polo team in Argentina. Ah. Um, It's called the Joho Royal Polo Team that competes in the Argentinian Polo League. She's got very close connections to Argentina and it's always been one of the... More fascinating parts of this Johor Taksim yeah. story. Yeah.
1: I think one of the first major signings uh, that they made after the, the rebranding, after they merged the clubs, was the Argentinian, right, Pablo Aimar, oh, yes. who first arrived. Yeah. And I think at that time, a lot of clubs were, or rather, Malaysian football fans were like, "Oh, this is really unprecedented times." You mm. know, such a big name player. Mm. For me, that that is when you know people really started to look at JDT. Yeah. Like, okay, I think they are going to be the real deal yeah. years from now,
0: right? uh, But I think even JDT themselves learned and acknowledge from, I, I would regard those signings as, I know we talk about them as a major bumper signings, but I think internally they, they regard those signings as, you know, decisions that uh, were not purely made out of footballing needs. Got you. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they signed Pablo Aymar, they signed <laughs> yeah. Danny Guiza, mm. these were big name boys, but they didn't necessarily have the most iconic impacts, right? Uh, mm. Over the years, some of the best players that they've signed have not necessarily been like superstars. The only, you could argue, superstar who came on to do well here is Luciano Figueroa. You know, Argentina national team player, played for Panathinaikos, joins JDT and leaves as a legend of the club. Mm. But mm-hmm. ever since then, they've moved, they've moved their transfer model towards signing really good players who aren't necessarily stars in their respective divisions. So, right now their all-time top scorer is a Brazilian striker called Bergson who is still at the club, who was signed from a mid-table Brazilian league team called Fortaleza, but the point is, he's really good. Mm. And that's all that matters, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So that that's the other evolution that has happened at JDT from just being, you know, glitz and glam in the early days. They've evolved into a super... Functional
1: football club at yeah, the moment, for sure, for sure. Um, like you mentioned, you know, we know pretty much know that the face of JT, TMJ it goes synony- synonymous with each other. But, Kish, what kind of role has you know the Sultan Ibrahim Sultan Iskandar mm. uh, played in the club's rise, the club's success?
0: I think he has he has definitely helped the club financially. Uh, JDT has has in a number of times, uh, you know, released statements about you know in in certain instances Sultan Ibrahim has stepped in and um helped the club financially whether it's it's uh paying bonuses to players whether it's construction of facilities whether it's it's helping with certain signings He has definitely helped the club in that sense mm. um and he's sort of also been like the patron of the club in a, you know being that that, that figurehead um that that stands above the club mm, um, mm. above TMJ himself as well um, he was also there um, to present the trophy when JDT won the AFC Cup uh, when they beat uh, Istiklol in Dushanbe in Tajikistan mm. in 2015 he was there to present the trophy, um, I think beyond everything, there is an acknowledgement within the jo- Johor royal family that JDT is not just a football club, but rather it's a it's a project to to represent the Johor identity. Yep. Um, yep. And over the years, it has it, it has done that mm. very well. It, it has strengthened the Johor identity. It's given people a sense of belonging mm. towards the land mm. that they live in, mm. and and he's been a fundamental part of that.
1: Also, what I want to point out is uh, the connection with the international stage, the regional stage, mm. right? You are mentioning mm. the AFC Cups, the, the first Southeast Asian team that won. Do you see that translating into um, interest from uh, bigger clubs in Asia yeah. uh, in that sense? Do, do you see that? Oh, definitely. Not just bigger clubs, bigger brands, bigger right? Brands.
0: If you look at some of JDT's commercial partners, I mean, Hublot, right? Mm. Like you, you've got a, an international uh, watch company that has come in yeah. and and you know, partnered JDT to a large extent. Uh, y- you look at um, the the sort of football personalities uh, that have been brought down yeah. to Johor. Luis Figo, David Beckham has been there. Ryan Gary Giggs, Neville Gary has Neville. been there. Ryan yep. Giggs yep. and. Um, Marco Materazzi. The list goes on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at at individuals who continue to to visit the club. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Lukas Podolski has done it as well. So it's no longer just a domestic brand. It's an it's an incredible international brand. A, a friend of mine recently went to. To Japan for for holidays, and he was walking down the street, and he just bumped into a, a random Japanese guy wearing a Johor jersey. Oh, crazy. <laughs> you know, the, the subculture, and it's yeah. not just JDT, right? Below JDT, you've got the fan group called Boys of Straits, primarily responsible for building this incredible subculture around Johor Taksim, and that subculture appeals to football communities ar- around the world, yeah. Mm. And, and you go to Japan, people know JDT. Mm. Um, you, you, you go to places like uh, Middle East, people know JDT now. You you go to Europe, they're aware mm. of JDT because of the fact that some of the biggest players mm. like Pablo Aymar, Danny Guiza have also played here. So when you take all of those things into context... Um, like JDT is just an incredible international brand as we
1: speak. Yeah, like you mentioned, you know, uh, it trickles down to the community. You know, mm. gives the people the Johorians a sense of belonging and yeah. something to be proud of from Johor. But also, Kish I want to talk about the trickle down to academy players. Yes, they are okay. Not the not the pioneers, let's say, in mm. Malaysia of academy of having a feeder club academy. Yeah. But it seems that they seem to be the most successful in terms of developing yeah. the next generation.
0: And and this is what I'll always argue about JDT, right? Because um, I know there's a, there's a part of JDT as a football club that frustrates Malaysian football fan which is the fact that um they're very decisive. they go out there they see a, a player that's doing well in another team and they will make that offer and get that guy to sign for them you
1: have the resources, and it's, and, yeah and
0: it uh, resources is one but also you look at it from the point of view of the player, why wouldn't you want to go and play at a football club where you know uh, the facilities are incredible, the coaching stuff, the access that you get you it makes you feel like you're playing for one of the biggest teams in the world that's that's what you feel it mm. feels like right? Mm. Um, so I know that frustrates a lot of Malaysian football fans, but you just cannot take away the fact that beyond surface level signings that they make, what JDT do really well is from an academy point of view how they develop and poach talent. And and the best example of this right would be Arif Aiman. because Arif Aiman, at a young age was just a bench player within the NFDP system. He was nowhere close to the levels of Lukman Hakim who was. Tearing up the 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 youth football scene in in Asia and even in Europe at that point, right? Mm. Arif Iman was not fancied by a lot of the coaches at NFDP because they felt that he was too small, and it was a JDT coach. Um, at that point, they had coaches from Valencia because they had a partnership. It was a coach from Valencia who was helping running the the JDT academy setup, who spotted Arif Iman in a in a tournament in a friendly game against NFDP, and he immediately called Alistair Edwards and said that. We need this guy. Mm. And they signed him. And mm. at that point, no one knew anything about him. In the span of three years, he has gone on to be Malaysia's best player. Yeah, yep, right? Yep. And, and and I give you another quick example. Very recently, there was uh, an Orang Asli uh, boy who who was re- doing really really well within the, if I'm not mistaken, the MSSM or the MSSD, the school, school football level. circuit. Mm. If I'm not mistaken, he's either from Kelantan or Pahang. JDT scouts went down there, spoke to his parents, and they've signed him, and he now plays for the Johor Academy. And and we can't wait to see his development, right? So mm. that's the sort of proactiveness yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that's very prevalent within the JDT Academy setup.
1: Uh, we've gone, on, we're going to move on now to an inevitable topic. It's a decade or so on mm. JDT dominating. A Malaysian, the Malaysian League leads us to the question of competitive balance Kish yeah. um, ultimately does JDT's dominance in the country enrich or hurt the local game
0: I think both uh, I think from JDT's point of view I mean as a football club you look at it from the point of view of a football club right? a football club can only exist with a mission of winning mm. Like no football club can exist by saying that, okay, this year we win. But next year, you know, for the sake of competitiveness, maybe we don't try a start. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Every football club needs to win. So the burden is not on JDT to increase the competitiveness. On their part, they've done whatever they can or mm-hmm. they're continuing to do whatever they can to raise the ceiling of the league. The technical ceiling, the quality ceiling, um, the amount of players that are coming in. Yeah. But now it's up to the league and the other teams to match the competitiveness. When I say the other teams, what do you do to to combat JDT's influence? It's the same question that's consistently asked in German football, for example, where there's been a decade of dominance from Bayern Munich. What do you do to stop them, right? Yeah. Um, but from the league's point of view, and this is why I'll always say this, I have always been a major advocate of uh, a salary cap institution, right? Like, you see it in the NBA. You see it in the in Major League um, Soccer. You see it in in the A League. What we want is we want every team to be able to compete. And that's I really hope there comes a day when we see that because football is only fun when it's competitive. Mm. When it's predictable, you remove the fun element out of it, right? Mm. And it's not just Malaysia that has the problem. Europe has it too. And UEFA uh, President uh, Alexander Safrin has even publicly alluded to the fact that maybe it's time to seriously think about salary caps, right? Because mm. we cannot afford losing this competitive balance. So the burden is not on JDT. Um, the burden is on the league and the other teams the to close the gap. Yeah.
1: Do you foresee uh, their dominance being challenged anytime in the near future? Uh,
0: look, I, I really admire the work that Slango have been putting in. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, competing is
1: against JDT means
0: that you don't just compete with players on the pitch. You need an ecosystem that's right. And the only club that's anywhere close to JDT in terms of creating an ecosystem is Selangor. Their own training ground. They've yeah. got an academy. They're very proactive commercially. Mm. Just two days ago, they announced a partnership with TikTok Malaysia. You know, they're very proactive in that sense. So I like the work that they're doing. And, and right now, I would say that they are probably the closest in terms of closing the gap. The rest... Still very difficult, right? I like Sabah, but even they themselves have salary payment issues. Uh, Pahang, all these years of funding don't have their own training ground. Um, Kedah are positive as well, but again, salary payment issues. So, it's hard to imagine anyone closing the gap. Probably Selangor is your best bet.
1: Second in the league as well. uh, Yeah, second in the league as well. Um, This year, uh, we're going to end off with a final question, but this year, um, TMJ uh, did mention that for the upcoming season, JDT are... Inverted commas underdogs. Yeah, uh, basically just yeah. say that. Uh, do you think they are looking behind now at Selangor saying that you know maybe they can catch us this time around?
0: I don't know, <laughs> um, but nah, I don't. I don't buy into the narrative <laughs> the JDT underdogs. JDT will never. They can never go into a season being underdogs because of the sheer level of quality that they have, and some of the signings that they've made in the off season too are some really decent players, mm. right? Um, so I don't think they'll be underdogs. Um, I think Selangor can put up a stronger fight. And I'm hoping the gap is a, a lot lesser than it was because last year JDT just blew past everyone, right? Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that Selangor can close the gap. The key part will be the players they bring in. Mm. Um, if Selangor can make some really smart foreign signings, um, then it's not impossible to close the gap.
1: Lastly, Kish, what are some you know key lessons that other football clubs, Selangor included, uh, can learn from JDT's rise to prominence?
0: Oh, always prioritize development. Always prioritize development. The current team is great. You need to do that. The current team, you know, the the, the first team, the the competitiveness, uh, the challenge they put to the table is important. I get it. But you need the ecosystem. And I think that's the biggest story about JDT. Players like Feroz Baharudin, players like Arif Ayman don't get produced without the JDT ecosystem. And we need that more than ever now. We need the development part more than ever now. Mm. So every other football club needs to prioritise that. Forget about the short term. I know in Malaysian football, it's hard to look past short term because everything operates on a short term basis, right? But you can't do the short term thing anymore because it just is not sustainable and your club will never be able to close the gap with JDT in the long run. One successful season does not equate to closing the gap. JDT have done it over 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, you're still so far behind so it's creating the ecosystem the training ground the academy set up the the sort of money and investment that goes into scouting and producing young talents those are the most important things
1: that was Kishnan Sundarayson as this week on the program we've been charting the rise of Johor Daru Takzim and how the Southern Tigers have remained a dominant force in the region and with that, we've come to the end of this week's Bar None. If you'd like to check out both our stories this week, you can head over pretty soon to our website www.bfm.my forward slash bar none for the podcast. And if you would like, to get in touch with the program. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can access at BFM Radio. My name is Daryl Ong and this has been Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Join us again next week only here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.